as an industry we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Dory, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Nick Pantis, current producer at Vectorstorm and Guck, so join us as we explore their journey. So today I'm joined by Nick. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Good to hear. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's busy time. We've we've been trying to. We've been messaging back and forth constantly over the last hour. Like, how are we going to make like trying to get the timing of this stuff work? Young kids and all that causing grief on my end, but we've we've gotten there. We've made it work, and I'm really excited to have this chat. Um, I mean, I don't know if you necessarily remember. We've we've been back and forth a little bit uh, in the past, a couple of years For anyway, while, relating yeah. to some of your moving out stuff when you were with SMG there. If you don't recall that, I'll enlighten you later on. But um, <laughs> thank you. It's like it's it's really good to to have made this happen. So I'm really excited to get into it. Yeah, I'm very excited too. And I guess that's the perfect cue. This is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that has led to this current point in time. But Nick, before we get to all that, before we get to the many studios you've worked with locally and the many awesome games you've worked with and even some announcements that have occurred today, <laughs> uh, <laughs> interesting enough, the timing is fantastic there. I'd like to rewind back to some of your earlier days and when you first got exposed to games. And do you remember what your first gaming experience was? Oh, I don't really remember my first gaming experience. Or some uh, of the first. Yeah, I mean, the original NES, I think. Um, I was. I feel like at that point I was a bit too young to be playing on my own. Yeah. Uh, so I think there was a lot of secondhand uh, exposure from my, you know... Watching on. siblings. Yeah, so it was a, it was a lot of that. And um, I guess I grew up with a, with a, a dad who, while we were still sort of in touch, uh, he was very much into games as well when I was growing up. Um, but yeah, so I would say like NES to the SNES and, you know, had a Game Boy, like the original Game Boy, which nice. is fun. Yeah. Any, especially from that kind of secondhand consumption era, were there any games that you particularly remember kind of watching on, presumably quite um, impressed by? Well, the first sort of game that I can remember watching and then wanting to play was actually on the SNES. Um, it was a weird, like... The best console. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a weird, like, Michael Jordan basketball game. Oh, the, yes. The basketballs could, like, go on fire and turn into icicles and stuff, and you had to, like, take out zombies and bats and stuff. Yeah, I remember that. That's the the first game that I can think of. Because everyone's drawing parallels at the moment between that, actually. I can't remember the exact name, but between that and the Space Jam and New Legacy thing that's just kind of popped up on Xbox recently, the one with LeBron James. Um, Yeah, and today I was catching a tram and actually saw there's a new Space Jam movie coming out, so that's kind of wild as well. So everything's coming full circle, and yeah, will we or won't see the movie? We'll we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know about going into cinemas right now, but yeah, yeah, it's still a bit of a weird time. It's crazy to me that uh, I mean, both uh, like that Victoria is one of the few states that's actually kind of okay. Touch yeah. touch wood, and cross yeah, my fingers, well. and I don't know. Pray to whatever gods there are out there. <laughs> Just cross my fingers and hope that we're all good because. Unfortunately, things aren't going too well in state, and we send our best to, to all those people. But um, do you recall some of the first games you actually got hands on with? 
Yeah, so um, I, as much as I loved my time with the SNES, a lot of those have sort of blurred now. I feel like I can I can feel them back there, but nothing really stuck. It wasn't until uh, the Nintendo sixty four that I I properly got into playing by myself and 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 really getting into those sorts of things. Uh, so uh, Banjo Kazooie and Super Mario sixty four yes. are like. You know, they're still very high up there for me. They hold that nostalgic value. Um, Deservedly so. Yeah, and I feel like those are the sorts of games that, like, looking back, those are the sorts of games that really, you know, half interested me into into going into game development. Yeah. Um, before I even knew there was a viable career path. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's awesome. I I mean, I spent a lot of time with you, yeah, Banjo and, and Mario 64. I also did spend a lot of time on the Super Nintendo in case my you know, best console comment didn't highlight that already. <laughs> yeah. um, but I can't say that I'd ever considered the possibilities back then. I guess the, the closest I got to any sort of game development idea when I was young was I'd draw little Zelda dungeons from like A Link to the Past. I'd try and draw yeah, little totally. things on paper and... Well, I, I used always... to invent my own uh, invent my own Pokemon, so I think oh, we... Oh, nice. Uh, okay, no, yeah, that's, way, co- that's way cooler. No, come on. No, because mine would always end up just somehow looping back on itself. It was very basic and very <laughs> very eight years old and awful. But um, how did how did your tastes and, uh, start to develop from there as, as you started to immerse yourself further? And obviously, you, you kind of really got into it yourself with, as we just yeah. mentioned, Banjo, Banjo and Mario. Um, but how did your taste start to evolve as you grew up? Were you introducing, uh, getting yep. introduced to more genres, more franchises, any particular games that really stood out at all for you? Yeah, so back then, I think that a lot of the games that I played, so obviously single player was um, a very sort of big thing. It wasn't until quite a lot later that multiplayer sort of hit, uh, for me personally at least, not until uh, <laughs> Xbox with uh, Halo Land parties. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, but, nice. um, <laughs> but yeah, so a lot of the genres that I ended up playing were like RPGs um, or like sort of adventure games, I guess, um, especially yep. the, the types of games that really like got me going with kind of um the games with hub worlds like adventure games with hub worlds and like smaller levels within them so you know banjo kazooie type thing mario 64 spyro yeah okay like all those types of games where you have this like central place and then you have like small offshoot worlds that are usually themed like that was my jam like trying to like go through um this really cool story whilst exploring a, a wide variety of like themes within the game itself yeah, you like, kind of got these different biomes, for want of a better yeah, phrase. Yeah, like mini and, worlds, yeah. But they were awesome. And mm. it sounds like you and I had very similar tastes in that respect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Banjo, Mario, Spyro, like they're all the sorts of things that I was hitting at the same time. So you've got yeah. good taste, I can guarantee I really, you that. <laughs> yeah, I think I really like... Um, we weren't able to like sort of go on holiday much as a, as a kid. So it was really yep. nice to just explore so many different environments and, and sort of just get out there and be like, oh, this is a new thing. I haven't seen this before. Um, and that, that feeling of discovery is something that I, I still hold really quite dear to me in my memories. Oh, that's awesome. So was there a game at all for you that, and you kind of highlighted a little bit with the, the Banjo and Mario comments there, but was there was there a game at all or maybe even a series of games that actually convinced you that maybe getting into games was a really viable pathway, but also one that you could see yourself pursuing? Because it's all well and good, yeah. I guess, you know, even if I use my example, it's all well and good to draw Zelda dungeons when I'm six or seven years old and think, oh, I'm the best, but it keeps cycling back on itself and it's shit. Um, <laughs> but then actually going and pursuing that when you're of an age that that's a po- uh, far more feasible and possible option. Was 
Was it Banjo and Mario for you? Or was it still something uh, a bit later on where you've gone? Yeah, it was a bit later on for me. So again, I didn't really realize that making games was a viable career path. You know, yeah. um, when I was uh, just out of my first degree at uni, I was working in retail. I was actually working at um, EB. A popular, pop- yeah, at EB Games, popular video game retail store. Um, and even then, I was like, video games, they're made by, like, some far-off gods and dropped in a cardboard box for me to stack onto a shelf. Like, I didn't know that they came from humans. I mean, obviously they did, but, like... Yeah, that's but no just one like, around here. Especially in Australia, right? We were just so like, oh, there's no no games are being made here in Australia. They're all from America or Europe. Um, it's it, Miyamoto. He makes, so like, 5,000 games a yeah, year. Yeah, he and... makes every single game. <laughs> all of Nintendo, right? Yeah. Um, but... In saying that, there was a particular game that really sort of pushed me into the creative side of things. Yeah, okay. Which was before my time at EB. But um, I I should probably mention first, right out of high school, I actually didn't go into any sort of creative field. I was very science-focused, and I actually went um, straight into a psychology degree right out of of high school, uh, because that's sort of what I thought I wanted to do back back then. And, you know, I still have a a large interest in psychology, but... um, it's sort of like not what I want to do with my career now. I'd imagine it's still really helpful within the career though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially um, in my particular role, it's all about people and, and supporting people and, and empowering people. Um, but yeah, that game in particular that sort of made me want to get into the sort of creative side of things, I guess, was actually Bioshock. The first oh, Bioshock game. Yeah, nice. So, That's an awesome choice. For a completely different reason than exploring worlds, it was actually about... Uh, being able to tell messages in games, uh, both directly and indirectly. Um, so Bioshock is actually very, uh, not very subtly, <laughs> uh, layering upon layering so many like yeah, just layers of, of messages for, for, oh, for sure. the way our world currently works. Um, and even back then, you know, it was like what is it, two thousand and six or something? Like that. I don't know. But um, yeah, to the yeah, six or seven, something around yeah, that'd be there. Right. Um, but it, even now, you know all about you know capitalism and, and ethics and, and morality all of those things just really just whether you're on or not you agree with them the fact that you were able to use a medium like a video game yeah. and, and the first so person shooter at that, yeah and to actually yeah properly tell a story like you can you can t- strip out the first person shooter elements of bioshock and still have it you know remain super meaningful and and yeah. have that meaning um but yeah just the fact that you could use uh, yeah, a medium like video games to to express an opinion, to send a message, to teach people. It was just like all of these things. Just it opened up a, a massive door, essentially. And I just was like, oh, so many things are possible with with art as a yeah, whole. Yeah, I mean, Bioshock's Bioshock's a great game to discuss through that lens because yeah, I mean, you could play it totally just as a game and shut yourself out to all that stuff if you want and that's that's totally okay you can get into it as you said and you could be all for the very obvious Iron Rand references or not. Like there's the and it, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't necessarily detract from your experience either. You've only got to be willing to listen and you exactly. know and pass your own judgment afterwards. But just take it all in and and that's the wonder of what Ken Levine and the team created. Uh, there was yeah. so apparent in the storytelling more than any almost anything else. Yeah, and and the really cool thing about that was not only did it open my eyes to to, to show me, I guess, what you can do with art. But it also made me think, oh, wow, how many of these games that I've played in the past have had these sorts of messages, have had these sorts of, like, things that they're trying to teach me or show me, and I've just, you know, been oblivious. Um, and so it's it's really changed the way that I play games, that one game. 
um, which is a good thing. I mean, obviously, I'll, there's games where I'm just like, I just want to shoot things, or I just want to. I just want to go play Stardew Valley and like farm some vegetables or something like that. Give some cute boy some corn. Like that's I'll do that as well. But um, hey, I'm very pro like mindless or very <laughs> basic, non not overly committal sort of yeah. experiences. That's great. Though Stardew Valley is a very committal sort of experience. You're Once you're right, in, you're in. Is. But like <laughs> yeah. there, there's a there's a deep spectrum there of, of choice in terms of how you wish to immerse yourself in these experiences. Pretty but, much. Um, but it is great that there are titles of that Bioshock sort of vein that, that do present that sort of storytelling. We are seeing throughout the industry um, a heightened emphasis on that sort of uh, storytelling, but storytelling in a host of other ways as well that are really minimalist uh, as well. Like it's it's fascinating where we're at and it doesn't all just have to be mindless shooting or, or farming or whatever. Both Both are fantastic. <laughs> but there's this whole other pillar that can be addressed as well, and it's it's great to see. And did that mean that you yourself then started to kind of uh, after you had your Bioshock experience, did you then start to go, what else is out here that's like this, and start diving back through other games, or was it just something you were looking out for more going forward? Um, it was definitely something I was just looking out for more. Um, but it did actually, you know, like I said, altered the way that I viewed art as a whole, not just video games. So I was reading books in a new light you know i think i was in high school when i first played bioshock so um i was doing like i ended up deciding to take literature in year 11 and 12 yep. um so that i could you know actually study the meaning of text <laughs> um and and see what that had to offer as well so that was really quite uh, eye-opening like the fact that i got to choose this new sort of route in life um and yeah it was it was really enlightening that's that's fantastic so you mentioned the psychology side of things there and you, you completed mm. that course as I'm just kind of looking at qualifications now for the society. <laughs> uh, you, yeah. you completed that in 2013. That was an RMIT stint there. And then yep. the EB Games gig began in 2013. So Yeah, so I was still you, studying at that point. Yeah, you're still, it's a little bit of overlap there. What, what triggered, the, I guess, the decision to not necessarily dive into that psychology? You, you've, you've gotten the qualification. You could at this point i guess go and apply for jobs and yeah so hopefully, at that hopefully point, all things going well be really successful there but you opted not to yeah so there was there was there's two parts to it so um on one hand i could apply for certain jobs but then with psychology to become an, a registered psychologist you actually need to go and do further study and yeah, okay. three years of study after that and then um do additional like uh, practice and then become a psychologist so it's quite a lot of commitment to become a psychologist so well done to anyone able to Who gets that actually far. go through and, and finish <laughs> that yeah yeah for sure um but the other thing was i was actually so part of the reason i went on to study psychology in the first place was um i didn't have the greatest of childhoods and i went to therapy myself um, quite early and i you know i wanted to study psychology to better understand myself um, in a way that you know, a therapist might not be, might not have been able to help me with. Yeah. Um, that plus actually going to therapy made me realize I didn't want to. I didn't as much as I enjoyed psychology and enjoyed helping people. It's not what I wanted to do with my career. Yeah. Um, it was so a tool was to help you games. yourself, but not necessarily something you'd want to chase professionally. Exactly. Exactly right. And you know, there was a there was that option for me of you know once I am able to sort of. Uh, help myself a little bit better um maybe i can give back and, and help others um but yeah it got to a point where i thought i don't think i'm in a state to be helping other people 
in this particular way. Yeah. And so I thought, I, I don't know what I want to do. And I think it's it's really valid to not know what you want to do for oh, a little for bit. Sure. So I thought, I'm just going to do some work that I enjoy. And so I, I was at, as much as I look back and I'm like, mm, retail sucked. I actually really enjoyed my time at EB Games. Um, it was a great job. Got to talk about video games. Got to help people like have great times with video games. Like, what, I mean, it's no surprise else. that you worked in games retail, and look, now you're working yeah. in games. Like, it, it can't yeah. have been the worst experience in the world, can it? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I really like to say is that I went from playing games to selling games to making games, and I think that's like a really cool like life. There's a through uh, line there. I like it. Journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good. It's like my little mini elevator pitch for my my career. Um, so at what point did you yeah. decide that, okay, I am going to get into the creation of it? Because the, the EB stint was from 2013 to 2018. You completed mm. your Bachelor's of Game Development at SAE in 2017. And mm. you got in uh, an internship there at Cultural Infusion in May of 2017. So nice short, yeah. short turnaround, thankfully, between completion of the course and then, and then getting yeah. your first gig, which is great. But um, at what point of time did you realize, okay, like I'm actually going to chase this thing professionally, the, the creation of games as opposed to just selling them yeah so um i actually had a friend who was studying uh not games but music at the same university um yeah, okay. they, th- th- someone that i talked to quite regularly you know through like a i think they used back then team speak or something like that not discord uh back in the day of playing video games um and they mentioned that they 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 taught how to make games at a uni nearby i was like no all right way. that's not that's not a thing you can study um and i was like I'm doing nothing right now, uh, so why don't I go back to uni? So I, I didn't just like jump straight into it. I wanted to take my time with it, so I went and had a chat with the uni, did some stuff there, and was like, can you show me around? Can you tell me a bit about it? And it, it seemed really cool. They were like, in your first class, you know, you'll you'll design a game or like design certain parts of a game and, and you'll do all this other cool Tossed stuff. Tossed in the deep I'm end. Just like, I was like, you know what? That sounds cool. I, I, I like games and I, I think i could be a really good game designer because that's the other thing I, I actually went to study game design not production because yeah. uh, i wanted to be a game designer um and so i just was like yeah i'll, I'll do it uh if i don't like it i can drop out before the census date and don't suffer any like financial penalties yeah and then well played i, I like it i yeah. guess awesome. and then i got there <laughs> and like my first uh my first piece of homework for my first class was uh, to play a game and take notes and be like, what do you like and what do you not like? And I was like, that is homework? What? This is the dream. Are you kidding? Uh, so then I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it another week. And then I kept giving it another week until I was like, I, I love that it. That sense of state has so been and fun. gone. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, and I, yeah, I think it wasn't until I handed in my first assignment. So I'm not even getting the marks back, but handing in my first assignment that I realized that, you know, this is what I love to do. I'm surrounded by things that I love and, and the, the type of creative people that I love. Um, I was very intimidated at first because going from um, obviously like a heavy science thing where everything is yeah. super strict and, you know, you have to use 12 point font in Times New Roman, Times New Roman and everything has to be indented at the start. Like going from that to like, go make a game. It's just a, a very free form sort of thing. Yeah. That'd yeah. be a bit jarring. What was it also like given that you were, so you're obviously doing your studies and starting to create some games yourself but then you were still working in games retail at all. Uh, sorry, as well. Was that mm. um, at any point a little bit much? Like, did you feel like you're getting oversaturated with all this gaming stuff or were you just taking to it Absolutely like a duck to not. water at the time? Absolutely nice. not. I think it was also kind of, there was a very big difference between 
the games that I was selling, which were at that point in time, I think I was um, selling purely Nintendo games, actually. Yeah, okay. Uh, which was quite lucky for me. Um, so selling the difference between selling, you know, AAA games versus making uh, student games. Um, I think they were very different. Yeah, very okay. different experiences. Um, n- normally, don't like to separate, you know, student indie AAA. But at that yeah. point in time, it was like they they just felt very different for me. Um, I also and still, the nature like, of the job too. Oh, 100 percent, exactly yeah. right. It was, you know, what it was games, yes, but it first and foremost, it was still retail. It was still about helping customers and and touching money and pressing buttons on a computer and restocking shelves. Like that was the core of it. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I guess. Wanna... Oh, sorry, go on. No, I was just saying I don't want to glorify like EB Games above other retail. I yeah. think that yeah, in the end, it is the same uh, responsibilities. Uh, you just the product you're moving. It just happens to be the things that you enjoy using quite a lot at home as well. Yeah, I mean, I've, and this is me now focusing on my kind of consumer experience, but like I've, I've been to a few EB games in my time, <laughs> just unsurprisingly, um, <laughs> and I mean the number of times I would find myself just in conversation with the with the staff there about whether it was the the latest release or after a while a few of them kind of realised that I'd be in games media or or whatever the case was and and would kind of dive into that side of things a little bit as well, but. Um, I feel like there must have still been some valuable stuff for you as someone who's you know learning to design games and you know what's what's a what's a prospective consumer going to enjoy what's what's going to look and feel and play well. I'd imagine you were still be, being able to glean a little bit of info. Admittedly, you know you might have to distill it somewhat, but um, a bit of info from the various customers that you're coming in uh, that are coming yeah. into your store and you're engaging with as well. Yeah, it's not something that I gave a lot of thought about initially, but I definitely can see the sort of, um, like, especially at the time while I was working there, which is, you know, silly me, but a lot of the things that I could have sort of gained from that was, you know, this kind of person is buying this kind of game. Maybe they yeah. enjoy that sort of thing. Obviously, like, that data set would be diluted diluted by, like, gift-giving oh, and, and all of that sort of stuff. But, um, and it's it just one sample size. Valuable. Exactly right. And, you know, who's to say the people here in Melbourne uh, are representative of the entire world, which obviously yeah. they're not. <laughs> um, so no, our taste here is way that, better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Uh, it's, it's also worth mentioning, again, like, my sample size was, like, heavily, like, by the fact that I was selling at the end just purely Nintendo games, yeah. like, um, so There's a certain audience there, exactly right, <laughs> Nintendo customers. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I definitely think that there was those benefits there that that I could have gained, and there was more tangible benefits to working in retail as a whole than there was um, just working at EB Games. I think, yeah, um, a mix between obviously working at re- in retail, but also coming into this second degree. Um, a little bit older than everyone else because I had already done a degree. I I sort of naturally took those leadership positions. Um, yeah. I don't know if that says anything about me being older or me being kind of like having that personality that just wants to sort of take control. Gimme, gimme, gimme! I'll just yeah. Yeah. Well, I was like, I I know what I kind of know what I'm enjoying and what I want now. Um, I'll sort of do what I have to do to like make sure I I do well in this. And so that yeah, makes sense. I was. I was like a, a a really good like a really good nerdy student, I guess, and I got high grades and all that. And like if I was doing group projects, which my uni was very, uh, um, they were like, oh, in in the industry, you're going to be working in groups all the time. Let's give you lots of group projects, which I loved, by the way. Yeah, makes sense. Um, 
and I, I would just be like, I'm going to help these people that are in my group, like, you know, make sure they're at my sort of level, um, make sure that we're all together, working together. I'm supporting Cohesion. them. I'm making sure. Yeah. So like and what I didn't realize at the time was I you was calling myself. Yeah. I, I was calling myself lead game designer or creative director because I wanted to sound fancy, but I was being a producer. I had so many production responsibilities, making sure that everyone was doing what they, they knew what they were doing. They were doing it on time and, and we were all, you know, working together to like make this cohesive project. Um, and then, yeah, it wasn't until like years later that I realized, oh shit, I was being a producer. Um, and I was and like, so I guess now fitting... my career seems like obviously I was obviously on that track way well before that. <laughs> yeah. I guess. And at some point, yeah, obviously that, that penny dropped. And I mean, I note that you've, you've got your postgrad diploma in project management as well through RMIT. Mm. So that's, I guess, supporting that sort of, pro, uh, that producer sort of role that you've established more recently. When did you... You obviously mentioned it came a little bit down the line. When did you realize, oh, hang on, I'm actually being more of a producer here than a designer? Yeah, so um, obviously when I graduated, I wanted to be, I still wanted to be a game designer when I graduated from uh, my second degree at SAE. And I, one of the things that I did during uni that I would definitely encourage all students uh, or prospective game developers to do is to network. So I was very, I'm a very social person. I think I'm an introvert, but I'm still a very social person. I forced myself into it. I uh, was going to a bunch of different events and, and, and meetups and stuff. We're quite lucky here in Melbourne because, well, pre-pandemic, of course, we have like a monthly meetup, um, which is is incredible. It's an incredible event I've run by an incredible things, person. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky enough to make a lot of connections um, or friends, friendships, relationships, all that sort of thing. Um, and my first gig out of uh, uni was quite quick. It was only a few months, I think. Um, so this is not the internship. This is the um, uh, junior game developer role at TKM9 or Play9. Yep. Um, they aren't exactly a game studio. They're, they're not a game studio, to be frank. But they do make games, which is important. They are a uh, like a bespoke software and hardware company that make yep. like... Uh, media installations like projection work um giant like touchscreen thingamajiggies and big playgrounds like interactive playgrounds it's really cool stuff Um, that is awesome stuff and i'm glad you're describing it because as i was reading like i was reading about them like before we started recording and i'm like how do i what do they do like how how do i how do i describe this for myself later so i'm glad you did all that yeah so it's like projection work like you know they, they do stuff like projections onto like um uh, Flinders Street Station and and, the yeah, okay. and all of that sort of stuff. But yeah, the 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 team that I worked on specifically was well. While I did a little bit of that work, there was a bit of cross team pollination. My primary focus was creating the games for the giant touchscreens that they have installed in like shopping centers, airports, and hospitals, like all across the world. Um, specifically here in in Melbourne, there's like a bunch. Like there's so yep. many um, at like different shopping centers and stuff like that. But um, I was actually hired so. I was hired as a junior game developer with the primary responsibility of being like a programmer, which I was, I was never a programmer and I never said in an interview that I was a programmer, but they were like, you can, you can use Unity, right? I was like, I mean, yeah. Oh, and then you're a programmer like, then. You're a programmer now. <laughs> um, and luckily for me, you know, my uni did teach me like foundational skills in, in, in programming, but I learned a lot on the job from the other programmer that was there. Um, so I was quite lucky for, for, for that. Um, while I was there, so a few months in, um, I realized that I was sort of 
managing the content team a little bit and i was like this isn't my job i'm not meant to be a producer and i don't know if i want to be the producer but i was having a lot of fun so i literally walked up to them and asked i was like can i can i be the producer please um easy as that yeah unfortunately for me um i didn't lose any of my programmer responsibilities so i was sort of doing two jobs in one which was hype up to go with it (laughs) nah didn't yes, so. definitely. <laughs> um, Sorry, so as somebody was... who works in teaching, I totally know that plot. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was really good. Uh, I love the work that we did. We, you know, we did stuff that, like, there are kids in hospitals that are smiling because of work that I have directly done, and to this day, I still, you know, utilizing the, that software, which is like, it's such a good feeling. Like, if I, if I ever get like have a down day, I just think about the fact that you know, there's a kid playing like this game that I made in some hospital somewhere, and I'm just like nice i i mean i haven't been fortunate enough to have been able to do anything along those sort of lines whether it's you know creating games for kids in hospital or you know being a celebrity of some sort where i walk in and it just <laughs> you know catches it like, oh my god paul's hit no no one yeah. does that um my wife doesn't even do that when i walk in the door um, <laughs> um but i can imagine for anyone who's been fortunate enough to do uh you know, have that sort of experience, whether it's creating a game or being that person that can walk in and just put all these smiles on faces as a sports player or whatever the, you know, whatever the case happens to be. There's probably very few, I won't be so definitive, but I can't imagine there'd be many better experiences than that. Like these are just some of the most unfortunate people in the world and do not deserve the situations they're in. And to be able to just put a massive ear-to-ear smile on their faces would be so heartwarming i'd imagine and i guess to your point you're still like if you think about that and i'm watching i know everyone listening this is a an audio only thing but i'm i was looking at nick's face as he was describing that and it was still like that ear-to-ear sort of smile as well like i guess there's still so much pride and happiness that you derive (laughs) from that from that time must be awesome yeah yes it very much is and I'm kind of jealous, but <laughs> <laughs> so still a diverse range of different experiences there, despite despite the uh, the setting there. I guess when we start to we, we've done the internship there at Cultural Infusion, uh, TKM Nine, Lumi Consulting's next, and Critter Clash, mm, as well yeah. as as well as a few other little experiences along the way there. Yeah. But I guess that's one of the big the big kind of highlight name titles from that period there which you you helped to ship the game um but what was that like kind of dipping your toes in you were there for about five months six months or so yeah yeah so i think one of the really important things to note here is that i so first of all i left uh play nine which was you know a cushy full-time permanent role Uh, i took a big risk uh going to a short-term part-time role contract yeah uh part-time contract yeah so that was a very big risk on my part but um i really believe in the the, the lumi team who are still doing some really incredible work the people that were there and still are there um like they're such incredible people like honestly like my heart is so full just thinking about these people they're so good um the work that they were doing like the and the the team themselves it was something that i was willing to, to to sort of risk that for um, and so I did, and and I got it, and it was incredible. Uh, the thing that I should I should note is that 
because it was part-time, I actually needed to find other work as well. Yep. So I was actually working at SMG, SMG at the same on time. moving out at the exact same time. So I, I started both of those in January of 2019, which um, for any potential producers listening to this, I don't <laughs> recommend doing two teams at once. <laughs> and we'll get to the fact that I'm doing two teams at once again right now. But that's that's besides the point. The circumstances are different, okay? <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm, I mean, I'm more experienced now, so I sort of yeah. know how to divide myself across these two big projects. But, um, and you've undoubtedly yeah. learned a lot from that phase also with Lumi and SMG, mm. so... Yes, definitely. Um, but yeah, so my team at, at Lumi... My, my time at Lumi, I should say, was, was quite good. I got some experience on a type of game that I don't particularly play a lot of, but I also got experience on a type of game that I am wanting to go into in the future, which is really... It's a really crucial milestone for me personally um, in my personal journey, because the idea of live service games, which are, happen to be the game that I play the most at the moment, right? Yep. So live service games, so stuff that's uh, continual development and continual content releasing. Um, that was my first experience, yeah, working on one of those, which was Criticlash. Criticlash was a, um, an, a, a synchronous uh, PvP game where you had a, a bunch of animals and you essentially flinged things <laughs> at your opponent and tried to knock them off. Uh, I, I remember playing it back in the day, and I'm glad that you described it that way as well. That, yeah, that's, that yeah. That was kind of my very simple sort of take. Look, it was just throwing stuff at each other, and it was it was incredible. It was a lot of fun, um, and yeah, it was really adorable. It was really cute, um, and getting the chance to work with a team that has a strong marketing and PR consultancy background was a really cool insight because that's not something that I had a lot of experience with. Yep. It was a whole new sort of world to me. Um, so that was one part of it. And then they teamed up with obviously um, a, a woman named Christina Chen, who is like a, a data analytics goddess. And yep. that was another like eye-opening thing, right? The power of like data, you know, before we were talking about sample sizes and stuff like that, yep. I would say that Christina Chen is the person that taught me everything I know about data and analytics and, and, and got me super you know, invested in, in data-driven decision-making. Awesome. And yeah, it's, yeah, she's great. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned before, like I teach it professionally and I teach year 12 maths. And so like I'm driving that data point, to- yeah. point home all the time. The only the only thing that's really missing for any of these kids, I guess, is they don't have that, that context at that point. They, they're not getting to see it in maybe a context that necessarily interests them so they're (laughs) whether it's video games but obviously that's your thing that you know someone else who might be into profession x if you would then say here's a whole bunch of data related to that stuff i'm sure their eyes would explode in a similar sort of fashion what yours is and that's the one thing that i consistently struggle with like i can i can beat the door down with like how important this is and i'll understand the surface level stuff but having that kind of eye bulging moment when you're actually exposed to it in your relevant setting is so invaluable, I think. And you just hope that they latch onto it and do something with it. Yeah, agree, agree. But yeah, you were spinning two plates. So there's there's the, the Lumi side, which we just discussed, and then there's the SMG yeah. side, which is where we first first crossed paths. Uh, you, I was actually yes. teeing up at the time. Uh, I was chatting with you about getting Ash on the show, actually. Um, but then that landed me a... That landed me a playtest with the game as well. So <laughs> I came in and, came in and yeah. tried the game at, at one point there as well. But... Uh, what was that like? Um, obviously, quite the contrast in even the type of experience, game-wise. Um, Definitely, yeah. What, what was um, it like? 
Yeah, so so definitely a, a, a very different experience, both the fact that the game was, you know, it's a different type of game, right, first of all, but also it was, um, I, I entered the... I entered the team at a very different stage of development while Lumi was sort of in the back end of, of development and they were, you know, they were ready to ship essentially within the, the, the few months that I was there. Um, I think that when I started at um, SMG, the game was about a year and a half off still. So yep. I had the privilege of like, I, I could come in essentially and make a large impact on the game still. Um, not saying that I didn't impact Criticlash a lot, but I was actually there quite early, so was able to set down yeah. quite a lot of the foundations um, with the team. So, you know, one of the, the, the biggest things that we did was me and um, the game designers and, and the lead artist, we sat down and created this really awesome content pipeline for getting levels in, um, like, quickly and efficiently and of a high standard, um, which is one of my, you know, proudest achievements on that project. Um, and yeah, so I did happen to leave SMG before the game like fully shipped. Yeah, before it shipped. But yeah. but you know we 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 did it. The the game came out. It won awards. Like it got game of the year at the Agdas in in twenty twenty, which is which is rad. Um, what, what's yeah. that like for you? Given that your your time with the game in in the working capacity had come to an end, but then it continued to you know mosey along until eventually it got to launch, and then obviously mm. the, all, all these awards and accolades. Like how. How do you kind of process that for yourself? And I know that no one necessarily gets into game development, nor most other professions, for the accolades. Yeah, um, for sure. But when it starts getting those, and you're involved, and like, how do you, how do you digest all that information? Well, so because that's like my first sort of like that's the first game I've worked on that received an award like that. It was definitely hard to process. I didn't really understand what it meant, I guess. Um, and again, like obviously, like the game. Any game is, besides like a select few, any game is made by many hands, and yep. so like, it's made possible by like so many people coming together and collaborating and doing some incredible work. But it was really nice to know everyone on the team, um, like every single person I, I knew um, within the Melton team, and it was you know we put a lot of hard work into that, and it was really nice to see it recognized in that way. I think though more importantly than getting you know an award was when people would message me and be like i just played moving out for the first time and i loved it i was like thanks like that's really cool and it was really nice to be able to be like um pass that feedback onto like you know the team whatever i'm like yo my friends love this game yo i saw this game on twitch yo i saw an ad for this i saw it i was nice. visiting someone's house and i saw an ad for moving out on tv and i was like what the fuck oh that's sorry, my game <laughs> no, yeah, I, was that's like, <laughs> I was like yeah shit that's a game that i worked on it's on tv that's that's never happened before so as much as i've loved like every single project that i've worked on it's like it's been going like getting more and more intense and like more and more stuff is happening like you know, back in um, uh, TKM9, Play9, the, the projects were quite small and self-contained. And then obviously uh, Lumi, there was a, a, a mobile game which went out there. And then there was this other big console game like that went to every platform essentially. So it's sort of like gotten bigger and bigger, which is which is wild to me. It's wild. And I mean, like it's that continued growth in terms of scope and size, I guess, kind of in a different way kind of continued because the next game you're working with through tin man games was just a little game under the warhammer umbrella 
Yeah, um, definitely. Working with that IP is it's not a small IP at all. So, mm. um, what was that like? That was that was a longer stretch of time. So you were there from August 2019 to just earlier this year, actually, fairly fairly recently. Yeah, um, um, April. What was what was that period like? I mean, I've chatted to a few people at the team that the the passion that they showed for for the game and the IP itself was incredible. Um, yeah. But what was it like for you getting getting involved yourself? So I knew a lot of people at Tin Man before I joined um, and they just seemed like a bunch of like really wonderful people. And then I joined them and I have never met like, I mean, so I've, obviously I've worked with some really great teams, but the team at Tin Man, again, I, I just can't sing enough praises. They're just such wonderful people. Yeah, Neil like, and Neil, are great. Neil, the CEO is like one of the best humans on the planet, honestly. Um, Although I mean, he's been on the show in the past as well and he just was whenever oh, you want like, let's, like, do it, let's do it let's so do it let's just so like, forth coming about the whole thing it was awesome yeah he's clever and he's got he's just like a font of so much knowledge and experience and like he's just so humble how can someone be like that i don't know anyway <laughs> i love that man so much but yeah so the team was the team was great and working on on that game was was incredible um wildly so this is going to sound even wilder is that i actually was interviewing for tin man for a completely different position not all oh, right okay so i was actually interviewing for a community management position because i all oh, right there was a, there was a period of time where i thought that's maybe where i was leaning into so something we sort of skipped over but we can get back to in a second is yep. um i actually started a game development uh discord server called the game developers of australia um, oh yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, that was still be... on the list to come, but let's yeah, that so now. yeah, so we'll, we'll do that first, I think, because that actually that, that that that's how I sort of ended up playing for Tin Man. Um, but actually, back when I was at at Play Nine, I I started playing World of Warcraft again, uh, and that's a deep well. It was. Um, I realized that I wanted more friends to play World of Warcraft with, so I actually made like a guild, and I was like. I was I posted on Twitter. I was like, "Do I know anyone playing WoW? Anyone want to come play with me?" And a couple of game dev people were like, "Yes, I'll play with you. Let's make a guild." So I made this guild called the Game Developers of Australia, and we made a little Discord server for it. And it was it was really cute. We did lots of like dungeons and and raiding and questing and had fun. And then we kind of wanted some channels in our Discord to like talk about non-world of warcraft things yeah, yeah some work stuff and so i made a couple of channels maybe one channel to start or whatever it was and uh yeah we just kept flooding it so we had to like make a separate channel for different like disciplines and whatever and it was really cool and then some people started joining but not wanting to play wow with us and then it just sort of like flipped at one point and i was like this is this is weird so there's this thing called Game Developers Australia. Come chat about game dev and maybe play video games if you like. Maybe World of Warcraft too if you maybe, want. Maybe, like, yeah. Um, like is, it, is it in the, like as you, as you first join the Discord and you look at the announcements, is there something there that says, but please just, even if you don't play it, go check out the WoW chat just to like see well, how that's deep the thing. this there isn't, goes. There isn't even a WoW chat anymore. I don't even know where uh, that channel went, but like now it's a like a fully fledged game development discord you know it's all about like the local industry here in australia we've got you know spaces for like meetups spaces for chatting about disciplines spaces for like jobs advice like showing off your stuff like it's it's grown massive it's like i think last check it was like two thousand 
game developers, three thousand game not developers. Small. Yeah, that's no, not small. it was it's it's not bad now, eh? Um, and it's like as far as I know, I don't want to make this claim because I'm not certain, but I think it might be Australia's largest game dev Discord. I think the humble um, origins, though. Yeah, yeah, back when it was a, a WoW guild. Um, <laughs> but it's something that you know I I started. Obviously, I, I couldn't do it all by myself. Like I ended up yeah. getting a bunch of like cool moderators people that i trust people that i know from the local industry a bunch of like diverse folks so it's like led completely by diverse people which is wild and it's just like we have this really cool space that people can just exist in and 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 yeah i knew that the discord was i achieved what i wanted with the discord the second i allowed people to make friends like built friendships i got people like i was able to facilitate like new connections professionally and people were being able to find work out of it. So those three things alone, like, were just Instantly like, worth this it. is worth it. Like, you know, I've, I've helped at least one person. I've changed someone, someone's life for the better. And now they've got like a, you know, budding career in the games industry. Like, hell yeah. Um, thank which is thank a- you, Nick. Thank you, Blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, Blizzard. Thanks, World of Warcraft. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know. It's sort of, I've kept that sort of theme going. Um, so, you know, jumping straight back into like the current real quick, like I've got um, mentees now, which is a really wild concept because I still feel like I'm, even though I've been in the industry for a couple of years now, like four years almost, I still feel so new. And so I still have so much to learn, but if there is people that need help in any way or shape or form, like if I know something that they don't, or if, that, if I have something that they could use potentially to make their lives better, like... I'm going to do it. I have like three or four mentees now. And I just like, we have meetings like once a month and we do, we just chat and have goals. And that's really fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, we'll, we'll cycle back to yeah, again, Tin Man, I guess in a yeah. moment. Um, but le- leaning into that and you, you touched on it very briefly there. You were looking to get a lot of diverse voices and whatnot in the moderation space and make them into big voices within the, within the discord itself. You do a fair bit of diversity consultancy these days as well. So I, I think that's probably this is probably the perfect time to kind of I, I did have that a little bit further down the list for us to discuss, but I think now's probably the best time to kind of jump into that. So is that part and parcel with those that you're also mentoring, or is that are you kind of treating that as a separate thing as well on top of those mentees that you have? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a separate thing. So I haven't done any consulting work for a little bit, but the consultancy work that I did do. It was something that I was approached for. It was never something that I sought out. Yeah, um, okay. As a, you know, queer non-binary person, I sort of feel, masculine presenting non-binary person specifically, I still feel a little uncomfortable trying to claim, uh, you know, the vo- to be the voice of diversity, especially in games or in any space really. But if I'm approached and I have that, some kind of knowledge or some sort of something that I can use to if help If you think it can again. be valuable. Yeah, if I have yeah, if I have value, I'm, I'm happy to impart that. Um, obviously, Plenty of value, there's Nick. been. Thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Yeah, imposter syndrome is real. Um, but yeah, so if if I um, am unable to offer that, and I do have a connection of someone that I know would be able to help out, I'm happy to lift up those voices as well. That's fantastic. And yeah, you're doing you're doing awesome work in that space. It was good to kind of read up a little bit about what had been going on there. And on top of all the mentees you have as well, you're doing some incredible work in terms of giving back to the industry as well. And it all started with World of Warcraft and a yeah. Discord. But let's yeah. that, that that's just a that's a footnote 
on the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic origin story for the whole thing. But let's cycle <laughs> back to Tin Man. Yes. Um, so you you mentioned that actually you were looking to, and I guess still kind of lingering on what we just discussed. You were initially looking to not get in an actual game development role. You mm. said it was. What did you say it was a communications role? Com- did you say? Uh, yeah, community management. Yeah. So oh, community in charge management. of yeah. their the community and you know partly marketing, partly like discord moderation partly social media stuff um looking back because the gdau so the game developers of australia discord i thought you know i know what i'm kind of doing maybe so maybe i can jump into a junior community management role maybe get some proper industry experience in this um yep the the producer that uh was at tin man prior to me joining had just left so at that point uh, my boss was like, my, my, my then to be boss was like, no, you can't be community manager. Can I offer you this production role instead? This thing that you're already sort of doing in two other roles. And I was like, yeah, like, yeah, sure. I want, I want to work with you. And production is what I know. Um, and we actually ha- ended up having like the, the really great thing about my, my boss at the time, he was very frank about we had frank discussions about my career aspirations beyond that role. Yeah. Um, and it was really good. And, you know, I, again, the, the advice that I received was invaluable and I'll carry forever. Um, That's awesome. But I, I knew that at that point, then production was where I wanted to be. Um, even if, you know, here and there in my career, I might deviate a little bit. I might yeah. go try things. And, things and I, and I will never want to not try things. Cause I think trying things is, is really important. Um, oh, for sure. Broadening your but, palette. Yeah, for sure. But I love what I do. I, I, I do. I really do. And what was it like working on Warhammer? Yeah, it was wild. Because, like, so obviously I, um, this was the first, like, big sort of, like, licensed game that I did work on. So there was a lot of new concepts to me, which was obviously working with the license holder, um, yep. having uh, having some rules around, you know, what yeah, those you can external do, what parties. you can't do. Yeah, and like the way things had to be sort of done was a little bit different. Like obviously the fundamental like aspects of game development are the same, but things like there was just new processes added on top of that. Um, and we yeah. were in a very particular spot because the game in, in question, Warhammer Underworlds Online, was like a one-to-one recreation of a, of a, of a physical game. So it wasn't just us using their IP the Warhammer IP, we were actually translating one of their, yeah, yeah, one of their really well-selling tabletop games. We were making the digital version of it. Um, Obviously we have like Tin Man has a lot of experience in that area. Tin Man's whole shtick, I guess, is, you know, on one hand, Table of Tales and all those sorts of things. Yeah, we've got like, on one hand, it's like hella, hella narrative games, but then the other side is like the intersection between those tabletop games and and where video games meet. Um, And so it was like, right up our wheelhouse and so it was a challenge but it was a challenge that we rose to the occasion uh and and met it head on and and smashed it i think yeah i think you did smash it i i was fortunate enough to get a code and had a great time with it um so yeah i i agree you absolutely smashed it and that leads us to uh, as as you mentioned before you you wrapped up your time at tin man in april of just this year so only a few months have passed and you touched on it before you're now spinning multiple <laughs> plates again uh yeah. so your work at vector storm and as was announced today guck is that is that how i'm pronouncing it yep yep at guck 
talk me yeah. through the work with VectorStorm on MMORPG Tycoon 2 and then what you can talk about when it comes to Guck. Yeah, sweet. So um, MMORPG Tycoon 2 uh, is uh, a tycoon about making an MMORPG, which is very exciting. Um, and it is working with one of the most talented people in the world, uh, Trevor Powell. He's like this genius programmer man. Um, and it's just like this game that he is so deeply in love with. My mind and boggles at like how it would even be possible and you're all yeah. making it happen. Yeah. And it's a um, sequel, so I should probably know more about the original, <laughs> but um, it's mind-blowing to me how this is a thing. Yeah. It's it's like just just like technically speaking, it's I, I marvel at it every day. You know, Trevor is making this in his own engine and is just so like there's a core philosophy to this game that you know really rings true with every single decision we make which is about you know the so obviously a classic tycoon game has quite a lot of like business related bits in it yes but this just sort of goes well beyond that and and touches on sort of like the creative aspect that can be brought out of a tycoon game um and and that creative aspect allowing our players to really imprint their like ideal mmo into a into a game that is the, the that's the core right there um and just like the way that i've seen people interacting with this game like you know on twitch or in, in playtests like it's just amazing that everyone gets something different out of it it's it's so cool that's that's awesome uh like i said it's still a mind-boggling concept to me and i'm gonna have to do a little bit more digging to actually see how it all comes together because I just don't know how it does, but like you've obviously yeah. just mentioned there through the playtesting and Twitch streamers and those sort of things, like the, there's good feedback coming back clearly. Definitely. So that, that's fantastic to hear. Yeah, And the game is, is still in early access. You know, we're still, we're still taking feedback on and shaping this game into to, to something incredible. It, it already is incredible, but like, you know, we're getting to a point now where it's just doing outdoing itself constantly. How do you just you know cycling back to kind of some feedback sort of stuff? How do you pass through the feedback that you receive from say playtesting experiences like uh, like what you've just discussed obviously with MMO Tycoon, like what you had when I came strolling in for for moving out? How do you how do you pass through that information versus what you're going to get from those who are just picking up the game you know on early access and like are there different lenses you need to look through and in terms of how you're processing that information or is it all still fairly similar at the end of the day it is pretty similar i like to keep them separated because it helps me sort of process them separately like context but yeah like a context um but yeah there's a whole like process that i go through so obviously like the whole idea of like gathering feedback is something that I have quite a lot of experience with. Um, And it's something that I've sort of, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the normal way to do it in games, but I've got my way of doing it. Um, And yeah, just, well, hopefully, (laughs) Um, but yeah, so just gathering all of these things, putting them together and, and, and really finding the common threads and like really distilling that into usable, actionable feedback. I definitely would never sort of like, get all the raw data and just like hand it off to someone on the team to like to do because i think that's not really a good idea because there's a lot of not so useful things that a class is feedback quote unquote yeah Um, i follow you so being able to sift through that and and really understand what is like what's the root cause 
yeah, what's the root cause, but also what what are the areas just in general that are important? For example, if people are saying, oh, there's there's too many menus or like there's too much text here or like, you know, I can't see this thing. Like those things can be, you know, they're obviously very specific issues, but they can be grouped up into like a big sort of like UX ball, UI yeah, UX probably. ball, which is like a very problematic thing to do. But uh, like we can then address that ball and then unpack that again and be like, okay, so this is the reason why all of these things are, you know, like yeah, that makes this, sense. Or this is why this is not a good idea or um it's, it's also really important to do that when it comes to a lot of like game design elements because a lot of people may give feedback about something that they perceive to be a certain way but it's not really that way that's a really bad thing but like there's usually like no, either a reason mean, for there's either a reason for something being a certain way or the thing that they're actually like giving feedback on is not the thing that they're actually giving feedback on yep um yeah i'll follow yeah, yeah. i wish i, I wish can... had a better example like maybe they think like someone's like overpowered or something or maybe instead of you know a boss being overpowered maybe the character that they're playing as is underpowered but they just don't notice that yeah it's like they maybe they're, they're pointing in the wrong direction yeah like they're, they're onto something but the actual and again using that phrase i dropped before that root cause is actually something totally yeah. different yeah, so um, we just sit it's... there and we're like, we think, you know, why is the player feeling this way? Why do they think that this thing is overpowered? Or why do they think that this is like really sort of, why is this a complicated feeling that they, they have right here? No, I appreciate all that. And it's a it's a real art to have to try and sift through that and again, identify what that actual issue is. Because I mean, sure, I'm, I'm sure a few people manage to identify, yeah, the issue is this and this is why it happens. But yeah. Uh, no offense to the ma- uh, majority, but I suspect the majority don't. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and, and I guess it, it all and comes I'm sure up to I who you're. That bucket too sometimes. Yeah, and it's, it's again, it's like about who you have testing. Like, I think I will get different quality feedback from, say, you know, from moving out. I organized like hundreds of play tests with, um, you know, thank you, various people around, around, including you know, like media and and you know, game students. I went and got a bunch of game students as well as just like people that I know, people that I don't know. But the feedback that I would get from people that are heavily involved with games would be so different from someone that's, you know, picking up a game for the yep. first time or like the mother of a kid who wants the game. Like, you know, there's there's so sure. many so many different like ways to look at this. And it's it's really important to be sort of neutral to begin as the person like looking at this and actually like pull out the relevant information. Obviously, like every human has like a bunch of bias. Oh, absolutely. Biases. So, like being able to put that aside is another whole thing. Um, and that's a real challenge for everyone, especially when it's your game that you've like invested like hundreds and thousands and millions of hours in, right? Like maybe not millions, but like getting there. I, I've been working on this game for X number of months. Like you know, when we shipped Warhammer Underworlds online, we shipped that into early access, um, and we were getting quite a lot of feedback early on because that was you know what we used early access for. But being able to separate my attachment to the game as a developer to really understand some of, you know, the negative comments we were getting and why they were making negative comments. And maybe it wasn't that they hate all game developers and maybe they actually have a problem with a particular thing, yeah. right? Like being able to do that is 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 a skill in itself. Absolutely. I, I can distinctly remember when when Critic Clash launched, like one of my things that I, I needed to do was I needed to go through and set like the Google play reviews to only show me negative reviews so I could gather important information. And if you think it's not disheartening to sit there and for half an hour and read nothing but negative reviews about your game, 
you have another thing coming. But like, I mean, I've been you know, devastated I, by that one negative tweet that comes through <laughs> about something I've done in a in a sea of. Thankfully, for the most part, please don't use this as some lightning rod moment. Uh, th- mostly a sea of positive sort of feedback over yeah. the journey. But that one that's come through and you go, and it destroys you. So you're lo- actively looking for that stuff. That, yeah. Oh, sometimes it's you're a brave soul. As- Thank you. Um, but, you know, we got valuable it's information out of it. You know, almost every project that I've worked on, no, every project that I have worked on has taken feedback, iterated, and improved. And that is a really key, core, crucial aspect of, of not only game development, but like everything. everything in life. So then there's the next step. Today's announcement, as of when yes. we record this, I should say. Guck. Yeah. I, I won't leave this too much. I'll, I'll leave this one to you because it was announced only a few hours before we um, even chatted tonight and I was in family mode beforehand. So what can you tell me about Guck? You you highlighted it before we started recording. I did some some digging and I'm already seeing some really fascinating kind of aspects that aren't necessarily specific to the, the final product, the actual game itself, but even just how how it's being made. But please tell me tell me as much as you possibly can tell me right now. Yeah, so I was actually brought onto the project. I was actually approached about this this particular role. Um, I didn't actually apply for it, which was wild. Um, and it's a. I'm trying to think. The, the 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 key takeaways are that it is an Aboriginal-led mobile game. So that's a really important key thing. There is that it's Aboriginal-led. All of the leadership positions on this team are held by First Nations peoples. Um, Which is fantastic. And yes, it's incredible um, because it means the things that we tell, like we get to tell, you know, yeah, it, it's just, it's them. It's, it's what it, I mean, it's the, it's they the are we the discuss key all the time makers. about people's cultural, cultural backgrounds or various other backgrounds and what people bring to a game. Well, yeah. I think I think most people would probably agree that um, people of an Aboriginal background haven't necessarily been overly heavily represented in the past and this is the perfect opportunity mm. to, I guess, correct that. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they... So the team is led by Aboriginal people um, and it's a mobile game and it's a very cool concept that I can't talk about exactly. Um, but yes, the team has been revealed. Um, I guess if you head over to at Guck Tweets on Twitter, you can see the team of amazing people. The, the people we have involved are incredibly talented, like really cool game designer, really cool artist, like so many cool people. Like, yeah, that's the last sort of could say, really. I'm just no, thinking that's, about that, it. That's fine. I'm rolling through my head and I'm like, I don't know what to say. Oh, wait, no, there is one more thing. There is news coming very soon. Like we are like building the hype. And Ooh, we are very, very getting close. Getting the snowball so going. I think, I don't think the news will be out by the time this airs, but it will be soon by the time this airs. So well, just, that's key. Yeah. yeah, as you mentioned, at Guck Tweets, so keep your eye out for that, for all the important news coming up. Um, as I scroll through the site now, there's a little bit of teasing, like make sure to follow us here and all that. So yeah, it's it's exciting to see and I've already clicked follow and I'll, I'll be looking to see what comes of it in the, the coming days weeks whatever it is don't don't go responding oh, i don't want to put you in a spot there sometime in the near to be determined future yes i can definitely confirm that it will be in the future and not the past 
that's that is a really important footnote there um so cycling back to i guess then what we discussed before with lumi and smg you are spinning two plates again so what have you learned from last time that's helping you here yeah so um time management so as a producer you'd think time management would be my like managing my own personal time would be like my my number one thing but um it's definitely something that i've had to improve over time with a lot of practice and, and you know training um really cool thing is that since then uh so obviously i have like a lot of experience with production and project management related things since then since deciding that this is you know my passion right and this is definitely what i want to be committing at least the next like foreseeable future to yeah i have gone and you you mentioned it earlier i have gone and studied fundamental like project management related things i went back yeah, to non-game again. exclusive ideas yeah, yeah yeah so for a third time i went back to uni because i was like yes i have this experience but I, I i feel like i need this fundamental sort of foundational knowledge base that exists it exists in the world and i'm all about i'm yep. a sponge like give me that knowledge right and so i um yeah i went and learned what project managers outside of the games industry do which was really really valuable um it was really validating to go there and like quite early on in the degree i realized like there was a lot of things that i already knew and already did which is really nice oh that um, is good but yeah so I, I did that and i was like and then i learned even more stuff which i can now bring to this 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 next sort of chapter which is um these two contract contract jobs um, oh that's really exciting yeah, yeah for you and i think for the projects the teams everyone i think that's awesome that you're being able to bring this extra knowledge with you and obviously that'll yeah. continue to grow you've you've made it crystal clear to me through through the course of this this episode today that you've got no real intent to stop learning as much as you can and i guess you know mm. i won't throw the teacher cap on but the teacher cap <laughs> loves it so yeah. um that, that that's awesome to me and i mean it's probably the one of the most important things about getting into game development of any sort anyway i mean this this industry is constantly changing and shifting and evolving and i mean what you mentioned before with kind of the idea of the live service game that wasn't that long ago where, uh, really when you think about it that those sort of games didn't exist that wasn't a thing exactly that was a pipe dream and now yeah. it's and there's obviously a lot of variations within that very general umbrella but it's now arguably like the biggest thing there is um it's crazy <laughs> and things will continue to change. So trying to keep yourself abreast with the, the skill set is super important and it's awesome to hear and see that you're constantly chasing more. I love it. Thank you. What about broader ambitions? Are there any thoughts about, because obviously you've, you've worked with a lot of teams locally, any thoughts at COVID restrictions and all those sort of things aside and hopefully this all wraps up soon but i feel like we've been saying it for 18 months um any thoughts to to go interstate to go abroad is there is there a dream studio that you'd love to just somehow work with at some point uh yes and yes blizzard and world of warcraft (laughs) (laughs) um no 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 not exactly blizzard but I, my, my, I mean, like, hey, that would be an incredible job. I think that would be really wonderful and eye-opening uh, and career-changing even. But um, so as we've sort of like had this constant theme through this chat is experiencing new things and learning new things. 
I have had like the incredible privilege to work for some of like the best indie teams in the country and potentially the world. But there's an aspect of game development that I, well, there's probably many aspects of game, game development that I haven't touched on, but one of the sort of the big glaring ones to me personally is working on a, a large team, working on a, a team where the things we do, we do at scale. Um, and yeah. that's sort of my next, next thing, I think. I really want to work for, you know, a bigger company, whether that is a bigger indie, triple I, double A, whatever you want to call it, yeah. or a triple A company, like that would be really cool. Obviously, the the uh, the options, I guess, are quite limited here in Australia. We have, you know, a handful at most. Um, I know that there are some that are sort of starting up some new things here soon, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, I think there's I a heard bunch Ubisoft of, is getting busy yeah, at the moment. Yeah, um, and obviously there's like a bunch of like really cool government incentives that have just sort of started getting rolling. I can't speak too much on that. No, that's fair. I'm not super informed is what I mean. Yeah. Like, so there's other people that probably know more than me, but I think that that will definitely lead to some really awesome stuff in the future. Um, in the meantime, I know that a lot of the triple A sort of companies that might be options for me in the future um, might be international. So uh, the U S Canada and Europe. Um, I don't know. I can't say if I'm going to end up there or not, but I definitely want to work at scale. That, that's my next thing rather than a specific No, that's company. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've dipped your toes in on kind of that small scale and you've seen a whole bunch of different sides within that kind of, that bubble. And it only makes mm. sense that you want to see where things can progress from there and maybe you decide to come back. Maybe you don't. Like the, Definitely. Uh, I mean, within the scope and scale, where, where you want to base yourself, entirely up to you, really. Especially, I think, post-COVID. I think a few developers and publishers around the world have learned a lot about what they can do off the back of the pandemic. But... Um, yeah, I mean, the chat. <laughs> who who knows who knows what happens once you actually get to dip your toes into that space. So that'll be really fantastic and exciting to see. But as we start to wrap things up, I'll cycle things a little bit back, a little bit more introspective again. Is there anyone out there that really inspires you and the way you go about your work? Oh, I'm sure there's quite a few. So yeah, yeah, trying to find one is always, or one or two is find always difficult. But maybe you've worked with them. So, maybe you haven't. Like yeah, there's that, okay. there's, I can give you that out if that helps. So someone that I haven't worked with um, that I really look up to, there's a a producer here in Melbourne named Lisi Kane. Oh yes, who is like a massive powerhouse, and you know I look up to her quite a lot. And you know we don't talk very often, but you know when we bump into each other in the, the co-working space that we both work at, it's uh it's always a good conversation. And and Lisi always has time for me, which I really appreciate. Well, Lisi was on the show only a few months back, and I was just oh, really? I was amazed. I was amazed by everything that she oh, has to, had to say. It so was smart, such a smart person. The powerhouse um, phrase that you used yes. is bang on the money there. Yeah, um, but yeah. So I, w- I would say if I had to choose one person, it would be Lisi. That's fantastic. What have been some of the most valuable lessons that you've kind of learned along the way? You've obviously had a range of different experiences here at various mm. different scopes and scales. Obviously, not the the really big scale, but you know, TBD on that one. Um, but has yeah. there been anything really particularly valuable that you've picked up along the way that's just stuck with you? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, so obviously in terms of like game development stuff, I think like teamwork makes the dream work is like a nice. massive thing that's thrown away. Like teamwork is a big thing. Like you should be a team player and you should, you know, help others. And obviously that leads into like a million other things. But like 
the other thing is like make sure you take care of yourself i think a lot of people will do a lot and sacrifice a lot to achieve their dreams um which is you know part of this whole passion industry i guess but i think that time is short <laughs> make sure you look after yourself and yeah and love love everyone and all of that stuff no Very that's teasing. i mean the the teamwork makes the dream work phrase is one that i love um i've also heard a lot of recently um for various reasons that i can't discuss because of an nda but um <laughs> But uh, like it's just the the concept though is just a is it's a wonderful thing and yeah I think it also extends beyond studios. I think that we don't need to compete with each other. Yeah, we're one industry, especially here in such a small industry like Australia. Like we are, we're one big. I I hesitate to use the word family because I've had a very like troubling family experience <laughs> but you know we're all we're all on the same team here like yeah. you should be we should be looking out for each other honestly and it's a very big thing for me i'm i'm a very big like i'm full of love and like i'm i'm always wanting to help and i just if anyone ever needs anything they can reach out good to hear a couple little curly fun ones as we as we wrap things up <laughs> if you could be credited for any one game in any capacity like past just, game or yeah past game? game yeah past game retroactively just to add your name into the credits for, for oh, something but that sounds so shady um well maybe shoot. maybe it's because you know let's use bioshock as a discussion for the, sure. the way they delivered story and that was so mm. amazing I, I wish i could have done that or maybe it's the way they set up the worlds in can Kanjo i say like, that was this or can i say World something like because because, like, I don't know, like, do I have to do any of the work? Because, like, if I could just put my name on, like, one of the most popular games in history. Oh, you, like, you could I'm throw set. yourself in as special thanks. <laughs> like, you're... Yeah, sure, yeah. You, you, the capacity is entirely up to you. Sure, yeah. Um, I would probably say something like Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah, I awesome. love that Banjo-Kazooie. Such a good nah, It's so good. It still holds up. Yeah. Microsoft, it really please, does. for the love of God, give us a new one. <laughs> it's Remake, not nuts please. Yeah. Oh, you're in the re- you're in the remake camp. <laughs> yeah, give us one. Ooh, not remake, sorry, remaster. Like just just all, all remake. You know what? I don't care. Just I, give I us something, just right? Give me, just give me more banjo kazooie. Um, if you could go back and replay any any game that you so just strike it from your memory and get to replay it again for the first time, what game mm. would it be? That is a really good question. First time, you know what? Probably um, the Elder Scrolls Morrowind. Nice. Which is, I know, left like just out of. No, but that's a big revelatory moment for a lot of people, myself included. Because I loved that game a lot, and like I would, I haven't gone back to it in a long time, but I think that I would really still like love to play it again for the first time. That was no, that's an awesome choice. And I think, I I think I've heard a few Elder Scrolls games get mentioned. Mm. One or two, obviously. I mean, I. There's a lot of games out there, but uh, I, mean, I don't <laughs> think Morrowind surfaced just yet, so you can you can lay claim to that one. Yes. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing everything from as much as you can, anyway, in a couple of cases, from the various experiences you've had so far. It's been really fascinating to learn more about those. It's all well and good to read these things on a on a LinkedIn profile or on your website, or whatever <laughs> the case happens to be, but to to hear it from the horse's mouth is always so incredibly valuable, and um, I've learned so much from this and had a great time so thank you so much for coming on the show today thank you so much it's been a lot of fun if people want to uh, keep up with what you're up to 
we've obviously spoken about uh, Guck Tweets already, but if they're looking to learn a bit more about you and what you're up to, where would they be best to go? Yeah, definitely my Twitter, which is just my first name and last name, at Nick Panthers. Perfect. Well, as, as I said, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing everything so far and everyone listening, watch this space. Absolutely. And thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next time. See ya. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, it's been Nick's story. Thank you much for listening, and I'll see you next time.